This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. So first up today, a follow-up to an inside story from earlier this week where we spoke about school dropouts um, and explored how to support students who are at risk along with their families. So just a recap of the story in general. Uh, Last week, the Education Ministry had submitted a draft proposal to the Attorney General's Chambers to make secondary education compulsory. So if you're wondering what that compulsory would entail, currently what we have under Education Act 1996 is Compulsory education is only compulsory up to standard six. And what that means is that if parents do not send their children to primary school for all six years, they can be fined a maximum of 5,000 ringgit, jailed jailed for up to six months or both. So the education minister, Fadlina Siddiq, said that this move was aiming to ensure zero student dropouts at both the primary and secondary level, though she did, of course, acknowledge that legal action against parents is not the only solution to this. So on Monday, we spoke to Shahnaz Al-Sadat, who is chairperson of Leap Ed Services, about why punitive measures shouldn't be the first port of call, that there are larger challenges within um, this um, this structure that need to be addressed alongside it um, first. So today we're continuing the discussion and looking at what needs to be in place uh, to support not just students but also their families so that they can continue staying in school. Um, And uh, for that, we will very shortly be joined by Dr. James Nyagam, who is chairman of the Suriana Welfare Society. But we would like to hear from you as well. Um, What do you make of this? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, joining us on the line is Dr. James Nyagam, Chairman of Suriana Welfare Society, Malaysia. James, thanks for speaking with us today. So, talk to us about the work you do in this area when it comes to supporting at-risk students, particularly when it comes to keeping them in school. Well, first of all, we do an assessment. We collect data. And secondly, we meet the parents, meet the students, and we would like to know exactly from their point of view uh, what are some of the issues that they're facing. And based on all of that, then we begin our response. Not that I've already decided what you want, and therefore I present to you uh, what I think you need. But it is something that we have come to a point where the students own the project and they advise us on what they would like to do. So there is an interactive uh, form of agreement, participation. And among the people that you work with, uh, what are the main reasons you hear about why students don't want to continue studying? Very interesting because you see, depends on which type of uh, group or society level in community you come from. If it's to do with the poverty-stricken group, they are poor and they don't have motivation and the child goes to school and probably he's in the last class. And so if he's in the last class, he feels neglected, he doesn't seem to see the link Why should I study? Because I'm not gaining anything from being in school. And therefore, 
he didn't seem to see a link between education and the future. So uh, what's use of going to school? Now, the second thing I hear is this. Even if he goes to school, he is probably struggling with uh, the studies, mathematics, and cannot understand, and there's no help around. So we have a theory called the strain theory, which means it is a strain to go to school, getting up and going for nothing because I don't understand. If I don't understand, I give up. And therefore, they stop schooling. But if it is also children, when they go to school, but the pace of learning is so fast that they cannot catch up. And if they cannot catch up, they're lagging behind and they're trying to keep up with good students. Well, at the end of the race, I give up. You see, students who are from well-to-do families can afford tuition centers, can afford private tuition, personal tuition, but students who come from poverty-stick backgrounds can probably afford uh, stationary, photostat copying, uh, and Wi-Fi, and so on and so forth. So they keep lagging behind. Now, if the student comes from a middle and upper income group, and if everything is provided, and the kid is spoilt, so sometimes when I meet some of these kids, it's a mixture. They come from either middle and upper income group or the poverty-stricken group. The boy who's got uh, from a middle and upper income group is so spot that he doesn't want to study. And so he plays truant. So it depends on where they come from. So what support systems do these students need to help them through this? Well, that's a very interesting question. You see, if it's to do with the poverty-stricken group, then, first of all, they need motivation. Secondly, they need what you call a friendly, learning-friendly environment. So we start off with what you think, like where they can easily learn, friendly, friendly studying, like uh, activities, participation, interactive activities, learning English, learning languages like Bahasa Malaysia. And then slowly as they are interested in coming to our classes, then we have a creative way of teaching mathematics and creative way of teaching them that they enjoy the class, like, you know, introducing Sesame Street, and which I myself personally enjoy. And therefore, we find creative ways of teaching and making them interested in the subjects. That's number one. Number two is if when they come for our classes, we provide them incentives. And wow, incentives, like they can operate the laptops, they can use uh, the facilities in our school. And then, of course, they, they will, if they are from a poor background, we provide with food aid. So with all of these things, they're encouraged to come. So you find that the participation increases as we are able to journey with them. And this is something very creative that we've discovered. And the response is good as well. 
And what about the students' families? How does family life affect the schooling life of a student? Well, I think it's a it's a it's a fact fact that family life does affect the students because uh, depends, huh? If there's violence, there's a hindrance. Domestic violence, I mean, the student will be affected. If they don't have food, uh, which means the student will have to go out and look for food, uh, earn money, and so supplement uh, family income. If there's other issues uh, surrounding where there's neglect, uh, less parental supervision, the child is also neglected. So they tend to mix with bad company and so on. So the family role of parents is very crucial in that they should be there to motivate the child, support the child, rather than any form of condemnation or a verbal abuse. We're speaking with Dr. James Nigam, Chairman of Suryana Welfare Society, about how to keep at-risk children in school and how to support both them and their families. Uh, we'll be continuing the discussion after a short break, but um, if you'd like to weigh in, that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Beats, funk, mixtapes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is just coming up to 5.18. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we are continuing our conversation with Dr. James Nigam, Chairman of Suryana Welfare Society. Uh, we're talking about what needs to be in place to support students and their families to keep the children in school. So, Dr. Uh, James, as we know, when you see uh, what you see of a child in school is really just a snippet of their lives and what's going on. The situations at home, meanwhile, can range from things like financial struggle to even cases of abuse. So what systems can be put in place to catch and address some of these issues? You see, one must utilize the iceberg theory. When you utilize, utilize the iceberg theory, that means people usually see the surface. And you know icebergs, they go way, way down deep. So when we see and meet a student, we have to look down and identify what are the issues that give rise to children not going to school. Generally, I feel that most people in society and very agencies just look and focus on the surface. But I've done studies. I realize that the type of families they come from, uh, and that produces kids who are aggressive because they have a history of violence, of rough language, drug abuse, alcoholism, so on and so forth. So you get a background. So when we look at a child, we go and examine their self-esteem, their self-worth. And often you find that their self-esteem and self-worth has been damaged. And therefore, providing them an education, reinforcing them, reassuring them that they can do it means a lot. Therefore, we look towards building their self-esteem, their self-worth. 
because it's once damaged. And when that is damaged, nothing else works. It works with, I mean, any one of us going through some form of uh, loss of self-worth, loss of self-esteem, will also suffer the similar uh, feeling. Therefore, we look at building their self-esteem, building their self-worth, and then get the participation to study. So that's at home. How much does a student's peer group affect their decisions about education? Wow, that is a good question because, you see, if they cannot find motivation in the house, if they cannot link uh, their education to their future, and if they're just uh, wasting their time, you know, in a community, there are lots of them. And so they descend down uh, to a common place and they all have a common issue that is they are like, you know, we don't belong anywhere. Nobody wants us. We are not the top performers. We are nowhere as far as school is concerned. And so one peer meets the other peer and one influences the other and they together become one community. And they are so strong because I have common and have common experience as you. And I've got the same issues as you. And that binds them together, that they're able to do things together. They're able to do uh, illegal races together. They're able to do crime together. So when you address a social issue, we are addressing not only an individual, but together with their peers, because their peers' influence is far more stronger than the parents. In fact, it's a tug of war between parents and the peers. And often, because of the common commonality that unites uh, the peers, their friends have more influence, and sometimes it can be negative. Uh, and that leads the child into uh, unhealthy forms of activity. And uh, something else that often gets brought up now, how can we support the mental health of students to ensure their success? Well, the first thing is this. You see, a lot of us, a lot of well-meaning people will simply go and start tuition classes, start this uh, and all that. But let me advise you of my 40 years of experience that first of all, engage with them. You know, I did a study and I measured the self-esteem of these boys and girls. Imagine uh, an average child, the reasonable self-esteem level will be 25. But children from difficult backgrounds, their self-esteem is at 15, very, very low. But notice, when they are with their peers, I've measured, it goes right up, cross 25 to 30 to 35. That's how high it grows when they are with their friends, when they are with their peers. So therefore, one must investigate and get data. What is it that they would like to study? So let, let's negotiate. Let's negotiate. 
okay, you don't go to school. Okay, we want you to go to school. How can we best work together? And when you get their buy-in, then whatever percentage we're working towards, that's the beginning. Not for me to pack my bags, go there in front of them, boys, I'm here to start a tuition center. Very few will respond. But when you have an interactive approach, respect them as people, then the response is different. Then the success rate is wonderful, acceptable. So this is our approach that we first engage with them in discussion. Say, boy, what do you think would you like us to do? And you know, they've given us a whole list of things and let's work together at this so that you get the benefit of education. Now, this is something that you mentioned right at the start of our interview. One of the reasons that at-risk students drop out is because they don't see a future in going to schools. What do you think needs to change in the school system in order for students and their families to see the value of an education? Well, the you see, they, they're very interesting because I did a study on this as well. Uh, our schools are very, very traditional. That's why uh, generally... Uh, Private schools have come up long, long. In my time, we didn't have so many private schools. Uh, homeschooling has come up, and lots and lots of tuition centers have come up. Why? Simply because our education system seems to be very rigid. You go to school in our classroom. Imagine it has 40 students in one class. So if I progress, I don't progress, who cares? If I'm the last class, who cares? If I don't pass exams or I pass exams, who cares? I still go on to my write-up to Form 5. So at the end of the day, who cares? So uh, here we have a situation whereby uh, anybody can get lost in a class. Whereas if there is a smaller group of 20 like in private schools, then you look at a person not from a quantity point of view, but a qualitative point of view, so that an individual is an individual, a teacher relates to a student on an individual basis. That's what you get if you pay in a private school, but sorry, it's not available in a government school. So therefore, the system needs to change. Number one. Number two, it has got our system has got to be more. Uh, participatory forms of learning, experiential forms of learning, which the international schools have. They use participatory, uh, interactive group forms of learning where the child can express themselves freely, talk about situations. So the teacher, the role of the teacher is to be a facilitator rather than coming to a class, conducting the class and then leaving the class. Whether you listen or don't listen, whether you've understood or not, doesn't matter. But that's how it is in the present day. If we're going to move forward, we need to relook at our education system. Hey, hello. It is so difficult, man, these days for a child to, with all the projects, with all the studying, and they cannot understand, then we have failed in our education system. We need to relook and see that children 
do not study on a pallet type of learning, but really understand. If they understood, then the progress will be there. James, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Dr. James Nigam, Chairman of Suryana Welfare Society. Um, speaking about what needs to happen to support not just students, but also their families when it comes to keeping them in school. And we're talking about this because there has been a proposal from the Education Ministry to make it compuls- to make secondary schooling compulsory, as well as primary schooling, which is already mandatory. Um, and so we would like to hear from you. What do you make of this? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Because friends matter. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.37. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. And we've been talking about... um, We've been talking about... A proposal from the Education Ministry to make secondary school education compulsory um, and essentially talking about how else we can be supporting students as well as their families that are at risk of dropping out. Um, and we've been asking you for your thoughts. You can keep them coming. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have this message from Madhav. Madhav says, I would suggest some form of secondary school, uh, in other words, skill-based schooling, TVET, be mandatory with students being able to work on live projects and able to earn from the results of those projects. My thinking is those not academically inclined would work with their hands. Why not enhance their trade? And um, this was something that we mentioned even on Monday, actually, the conversation about how Especially if you're talking about financial pressures being one of the reasons why people end up dropping out, that providing people an avenue to earn money and to earn money while learning or through learning is one way to ensure that some of those pressures get alleviated. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Well, again, Madhav, because um, on Monday, as Lynn said, TVET, um, life skills, these are all things that came up a number of times from other listeners as well. Um, as one way for us to think differently about what we even mean about education, what we are providing for students, and whether we're actually listening to what they might want to be doing with their lives as well. So uh, on Monday, when we had this conversation, the main theme, I think, was the question of relevance. How relevant is our education? And I think that is still important to say in relation to TVET, which is how the conversation has pivoted now, because Mars says, I think it would be doable if engineers and executives become facilitators and work together with teachers in schools. It can also be a solution for our low-cost labour or reducing foreign labour and training students for for working as well as learning um, by moulding to the work environment and being challenged academically. Oh, I I really like that. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of people in industry um, sort of crossing over into the education sector, uh, not necessarily as a permanent thing, but basically giving students, even at an early stage, insight into what working life is like. And I really like that idea. MZ says education is so important that it is a no-brainer for mandatory secondary school. We need a more educated population, not a less educated one. Now, our feelings about mandatory, Sharmila, I think are pretty well documented. Um, But I think in this case, in this case, I, I think the central problem is if you make it mandatory without offering support, that's an issue. 
It's yes. not so much the point about making it mandatory because it would be good for more people to stay in an academic space longer, especially if there are options like TVET. Yes, and, and I suppose for me also, um, we are talking about jail terms and fines, mm. uh, which in the context of, if we look at the statistics again, um, people from a lower socioeconomic background, um, it doesn't help because it isn't addressing the, lo- uh, the, the core issues of why students are dropping out. Keep those thoughts coming. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.